Thank you for joining the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham DeWeese. We are back once again with the soul man, Brian Solak. And this week, we have a former Major League baseman, Major League Baseball third baseman uh, and Milwaukee Brewer legend, former Mariner and assistant coach at Bellevue High, one Jeff Cirillo. How's it going, Jeff? Good evening, guys. Welcome to our show, and uh, we're we're glad to have you here. You're a local, you're a local legend, and you're uh, uh, I, I heard they're building a statue to you in Milwaukee as we speak. I'm just, I'm just kidding, but actually, you're really high thought, highly thought of the people I know from Wisconsin. Uh, when I mention your name, their eyes light up, and it's great to have you on this show. Um, well, I appreciate, I appreciate <laughs> awesome. it, and Brian, Brian did a good job of uh, reaching out on social media, and uh, and we locked this down. So I'm looking forward to it. I appreciate that. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, Ab- well, Abraham, before we, I have to ask a quick question before you get started. I know you got your list, but I heard Jeff was recently in Vegas. I want to hear why he was in Las Vegas recently. <laughs> well, uh, it was just a good way to see my brother and my nephew and his wife. And I was playing in an over 45 men's baseball league. Uh, I've been playing in one for a while, but I, I used to pitch, but unfortunately I've I, like i've hurt my shoulder so i don't get to pitch anymore so i think my baseball days might be coming to an end but i enjoy those guys for sure oh right on right on i heard you met a friend of mine too chris lampkin i don't know if he said his name to you or not but he 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 mentioned that we were that i was trying to contact you and you you guys conversed over a couple days but yeah he's the one that locked us in yes uh i play with uh, steve lampkin Okay, is on my team and uh, is a good friend. So any of the Lampkins is a is a friend of mine. <laughs> nice, right on. <laughs> good people. Sorry about that, Abe. Go ahead. Oh no, it's okay. Uh, that's 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 perfectly fine. Um, now now all you got to do is you got to figure out uh, you, you got to figure out who else you know in the various towns as you're stalking uh, Jeff Cirillo. <laughs> you know, right. I heard Jeff, you're in uh, California right now. Uh, don't worry though. Uh, you know, even though I didn't know it. I bet you, I bet you Brian does. Check your, check your car for those little apple, apple. Just don't bring up Dustin Pedroia fetish. That's all I asked, Abe. Oh, that's right. That's right. Uh, are, are you cheating on Justin Pedroia with uh, Jeff Cerullo's? That's Anyways, going. move on. Oh, okay. Okay. We got a show to go here. Uh, <laughs> hey, Jeff, uh, uh, you, you went to USC, you're a Trojan. Uh, and I was looking you up and you played with Mark Smith and Damien Buford, both each of whom have had uh, nice MLB careers, but as a Mariner fan, I noticed that you played with future Mariner Brett Boone. That colorful character, he's brash, he's outspoken. What was it like to hang out with him when he was 20 years old? Oh, man. Uh, well, Brett actually was a very funny guy. I mean, he was very quick with a wit. Uh, he was very, very confident, as you guys know. Uh, he was very confident at USC. And um, he tells a story. It was kind of funny, but it was a little offhanded but he'd always be like you know usc is just my stepping stone to the major leagues and you guys you're all my stones and i'm like okay <laughs> so that was my brett boone <laughs> right on <laughs> what's the have you still keep in touch with them you know i don't really keep in touch with him too much uh you know he was one of those years and and quite frankly, I was a pitcher at USC for a lot of the time I was there. And so I'd hung out with more of the pitchers than the hitters. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's a good, that, that, that's an interesting thing. I, I saw that too. Uh, you were a pitcher uh, and then they moved, then they moved you to the field. What precipitated that? Did you, your talents just work better uh, in the field or uh, because I know in your very last season of MLB, they had your pitch as well. Uh, and, and I'm curious if there was just a, your bat was just, that much more needed in the in in the lineup no actually what it was is that all those guys were drafted as in junior year like damon buford and and mark smith was drafted in my year but damon and brett were drafted in my same class juniors and and i was hitting third and fourth in the lineup but i would pitch on the weekends and then i couldn't lift my arm for the week and then i would pitch again saturday and so my fastball was a little short for major leagues and i could hit but none of the scouts ever saw me at a position so my senior year, I asked Coach Gillespie, I'm like, look, you know, I've done everything at USC that I could possibly do. Um, this scout from the uh, the Padres, a guy named Gail Sutherland, said, hey, I see you as a third baseman. And so I went that summer and played summer baseball in Michigan. 
And uh, I played third base and I came back and said, look, I'd really like to be able to play professional baseball and it's not going to be as a pitcher. How about you give me third base as a shot and you let me close. And he said he liked the idea and he'd give me a chance and, and the rest is history. Fantastic. Uh, just out of curiosity, I mean, we're, we're, we're going to get to it eventually, talk about the West Coast League, but did you ever play summer ball for the West Coast League, Cape Cod? I, I mean, let it No, I mean, it's, it's, one of those, it's one of those stories. Um, after my freshman year in, in college, I went to the Alaska League. I played in Hawaii. And then after my sophomore year, and I hit as a sophomore at USC, and so all these teams wanted me to obviously pitch and play in the Cape Cod League, just pitch only. I'm like, no, I want to pitch and hit. So then I, I went to Kenai in the Alaska League, where I could pitch and hit, and I proceeded to get one at bat all summer as a sophomore mm-hmm. summer in Kenai after hitting all year for USC. So um, that was one of those ones. So you know, I, I think that everyone kind of had me just slotted as a pitcher and occasional hitter. That's that's pretty awesome. Did you ever do? Uh... Did you ever do any of the other uh, the other wood bat leagues, or is that just per- nope? Wood? Nope. Okay. Nope. The, fir- the the first time I ever put a wood bat in my hand was in Medicine Hat, Canada, playing for the Carolina Brewers in 1991 as a as a first year draft player. Very awesome. Very awesome. Who did you model your game after? Um. Well, I mean, I was, I was always. You know, George Brett and and Robin Yount were always two guys that we always heard a lot of when I was growing up in in uh, Southern California. You know, I would say Robin Yount. You know, just being drafted by the Brewers, and that's all you really heard was the way Robin Yount and Paul Molitor went about the game and just doing everything kind of correctly. And that always legendary was be like Paul Molitor hit a ground ball back to the pitcher, and he would run hard down the line. You know, I mean, I mean something you don't see today, obviously, but in those days, you know, those guys. <laughs> You know, they were held to a higher standard and you were expected to kind of play the game the way they did. Outstanding. Um, obviously, we discussed how you started out as a pitcher. Then how, how did they choose you to move to third base? I mean, why third base? You, I mean, there's seven other positions in the field. I mean, why third oh, base? Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Um, it was this guy named Dale Sutherland. It was my junior year and he brought me down to Jack Mar- stadium he goes look jeff he goes i don't think you can pitch but i really think you can swing the bat and i was hitting third second third fourth in in the usc lineup that that had a lot of pro prospect players and um but i was just going kind of under the radar because i wasn't playing a position and he saw me as a third baseman and i'm like well i don't see myself as a third baseman since seeing as i've never really played it but that's what he what he saw so then that summer i went away to michigan and played third base it was definitely trial and error for sure um but i got the hang of it and just so then i came back my senior year as luck would have it um we had a freshman all-american catcher who had a torn labrum and so he couldn't catch that year but so he was still going to hit but they also needed my bat in the lineup so it just worked out kind of perfectly we moved the third baseman over to second they put me at third and we used the the all-american catcher to dh and then I just became the closer. So, and that's how I was drafted. Oh, nice. Very cool. Very cool. From what I understand, you could have came out earlier to the MLB, but uh, you you, cho- you chose to stay at USC. What went into that decision? Well, it really wasn't my decision because I wasn't drafted my junior year. I was drafted out of high school oh. by the Cubs as a pitcher, but my gen- junior year, I wasn't drafted. So there really oh. wasn't much of, much of a chance to uh, even sign. So I was my, my, my options were pretty limited. Well, I'll just say this: a lot of teams look pretty stupid now, don't they? <laughs> yeah, there was many, many a times. But you know, I mean, as a guy like myself, you know, you, you use it as motivation too, right, to prove everyone wrong, and especially when you run into those scouts. And I was in the scouting industry for the last eleven years, and it's funny because some of the scouts that were amateur scouts in the California area at the time were, were now were eventually professional scouts. You know, and I'm like, man, you guys swung and missed. And of course, after one of them's like, oh, I had you in, I had you in, Jeff. I'm like, they just didn't want to take it. I'm like, okay. Did you use any of that as motivation? Oh, absolutely. For sure. You know, I mean, uh, I mean, guys that are bonus babies or get, get some money, you know, they, they have, they're going to have a little bit of a net that's going to catch them, but 
there was no net for myself. You know, there was a small signing bonus. I signed as a senior. And so as luck would have it, I stayed healthy. You know, that was a big one, right? Because if I would have gotten hurt in a ball, you know, I would have just gotten passed over. So health was a big factor. Um, getting drafted, I think, by the Brewers, which was a smaller market team at the time. And even when I was brought up to the major leagues in 1994, we had a very small payroll. Uh, you know, I think that Bud Sealing knew that we were going on strike. And so he was, he had a small payroll. And in 1995, we had a really small payroll. So I got, I got several opportunities to stay where if I was drafted maybe by the Red Sox or a bigger market team, you know, I mean, I think I went three for my first 27 in the major leagues. And so I might not have gotten another opportunity if it wasn't maybe with a smaller market team. I want to ask about minor league ball. I mean, obviously this is going to throw me in the old old person factor, but what's the difference between when when you played back in the nineties to where now we here at the South Sports Union cover the Seattle we cover the Everett Aqua Sox religiously every summer and right. we seem to see more international free agents, college players. I mean is there a big difference from playing back then for and nowadays? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, being in the scouting, and I've been to Everett many, many, many times in the last 11 years, uh, scouting scouting the guys that are coming through that aren't even the Everett Aqua Sox. And um, I had a AAA manager tell me this, and it was it was a great, great line because, and I just got into AAA, and it was a guy named Chris Bando, Sal Bando's brother, okay. was our AAA manager. And I think Pat, Pat Listach was the shortstop in the major leagues at the time. And it, I think he was just rookie of the year the year before. Maybe the year before that. I'm not sure. I'm getting my years mixed up. But he was hitting probably 220, 230 in the major leagues, playing shortstop. And then there was guys that were there in AAA hitting, you know, 280, 270, 280. And they were complaining, you know, that this guy's hitting 230, 220 in the big leagues, and I'm hitting 280. You know, why am I not getting the call, right? And Chris Bando had a great line. He's like, you know how you get out of this league? Be better than the league. You know, hit 300, you know, lead the league in stolen bases, home runs. Just be better than the league, you know, and today's player, I mean, and I'm not throwing daggers here at anybody, but, you know, like an Evan White and even uh, Kyle Lewis at the time, you know, I saw them play a double A in Arkansas. And I think Kyle Lewis was hitting 250 with like a strikeout rate up in the high 20s. And uh, and even when I wrote a report on him, I didn't, you know, I didn't really have him as high as what he did. I thought I really missed on him. Um, you know, obviously it remains to be seen and Evan White remains to be seen as well, but you know, they weren't leading the league. You know, if, in fact, they were probably one of those people that would be repeating the league the next year, you know, um, you know, and the only reason maybe you'd get promoted is just based on, you know, where they were drafted and the, where they were drafted and the money that they had invested in them. So I think that that's definitely different today where you have guys that are not leading the league, still getting moved up and still getting pushed into the major leagues. Okay, very cool, very cool. I uh, got got a couple more questions related to that in a couple minutes here, but first I want to go uh, to to the majors. I noticed that you only spent three years in the minors, and I know now that you just shed some light that uh, uh, you weren't drafted as a junior. It makes me wonder. Wow, yet again, double stack this. They really missed out because you kind of flew through the minors faster than most people. And even though you went three for twenty seven in that first that first uh, that first year, uh, you shot on the scene real fast. Question for you. Yeah, get to you get to the Brewers in '94, and the strike happens. Right. Was that like a bucket of cold water on you? I assume. Well, it was. It was a strange deal because I had only been in the major leagues probably for 30 days. So you're still trying to figure out, you know, if you belong, you know, where you're going. Um, you're still kind of floating a little bit, right? I mean, you're checking off a lot of boxes. You're getting your first hit. You're getting your first home run. You're getting to go through play at Yankee stadium or play in Boston, you know, like bucket list stuff. Right. And so then we went on strike on August 11th or 12th and we were in the tiger stadium and now I'm on strike. And the only reason I didn't get sent back is because the day before uh, we had a guy named Alex Diaz who actually played for the Mariners later uh, broke his leg. And, you know, in those days you actually could, you could have a roster of 24 guys. So I was all set to be sent down during, before the strike ended on the 25th and just so there were only 24 guys on that roster that would go on strike and then they were going to send me down but since they he got broke his leg they brought up our, one of our top prospects and they sent him back down so going on strike and then i was going to these meetings 
you know, and like Lou Whitaker's standing up and, and Don Mattingly and all these guys that are at the union meetings. And, you know, you're literally, you're just a fly on the wall and you're not saying anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> j- jumping ahead. You, uh, well, obviously we want to talk to you about playing with the Mariners, but you played in Colorado. What, 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 I want to know what it was like playing in Colorado. I mean, they, everybody talks about how it inflates your stats, which I call BS on, but you're in the mile high stadium for whatever, a 10 game homestand. And then you got to go back East for a, a 10 game road trip. I mean, can you feel the difference once we, once you're on sea level? I mean, t- tell me, tell us a little bit about that. Uh, it's real. It definitely is real. It's one of those ones where you're basically, you know, for a 10 day road trip, um, you know, you definitely can create some bad habits because I, I, there'd be many times where a pitcher would come like not Kevin Brown, but like, just name a pitcher that had a good sinker that was right-handed and, you know, to get me out, you'd kind of throw it at my belt buckle inside. That was a decent hole that I had in there. Um, and the ball would just cut back over the middle of the plate. So you'd basically be eliminating a guy's sinker in Colorado. And so you're not really worried about the ball inside. And then you go on the road and the breaking ball has more bite. And then the sinker has more sink. So you're basically facing college pitching in Colorado and then you have to graduate to the major league pitching when you go on the road. Oh, wow. Right on. Yeah. So he's calling BS on you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> I, hey, Jeff, you were uh, you were at the Brewers both when they were in the American League and in the National League. And there was a big brouhaha, especially with fans, going interleague play. That happened around the same time. And then having – having the Brewers in the national league confused, you know, the rivalry as a, as a player, did, did, did that change anything as to, to how you operate, especially with interleague play, or is that just all the fans getting riled up about nothing? Well, I think we were all a little bit worried because we had a guy named Jeremy Burnett who had come over from the Mets and he was with oh, the yeah. Mets first. He was mm-hmm. drafted and he went to the Indians and then we got him. But he was a little worried about the uh, the National League because that was the time when when the umpires had not gone on strike yet. So you had the the uh, relegated and National League umpires, and you had the American League umpires, and it was known that the American League umps probably had a had a zone that was a little bit more uh, lateral up down, and um, and then and then the National League umpires were more side to side, and he'd watch those games on um, WGN, right, the the Cubs, and he'd see Hirschbeck calling those pitches that were, you know, nowhere near the outside corner being called for strikes. And so it was a little bit worrisome that you were worried about the, the strike zone in the National League compared to the American League, for sure. Uh, I got to ask, besides Randy, you can't name Randy Johnson, but name, tell me one or two pitchers that had had you. I mean, no matter how hard you tried, they just seemed to, ha- to get you out at every, you know, at every, at bat, every game that you played against them. Uh, Kevin Brown was really good. You know, he was, he was, he was definitely, uh, probably had the best stuff I'd ever seen, you know, with Randy Johnson and then Pete Harnish I had trouble with Pete Harnish. Uh, he was kind of hit the ball real well and kind of threw it at top of the zone fastball. It wasn't hard, but just, he seemed to just get right up, right on the top of the zone. How about one pitcher that you just roped, you raked on every time you faced him, it seemed like, uh, Andy Pettit. Okay. Yeah, Andy. Yeah, I seem to have his number. You know, it's one of those ones when you have a, let's just say you have a big game against a guy and you could be hot at the time and you get three hits off him and you go three for three or three for four. And so now you're a lifetime 750 hitter. And then the next time you play him, you get a couple more hits and, you know, you see this lofty average and then it kind of takes on a life of its own both ways, right? Absolutely. Nice. Right on. Uh, you were, Jeff, you were a lifetime uh, 296 batter. Uh, question for you. How does your how did your game would it uh, more of the question would be would your game translate to today's baseball? Oh, that's a great question. I think a few years ago it would have translated great, uh, especially with the the, uh, the inflated baseball, you know. <laughs> so uh, because I was gap to gap, but you know, um, if I had the ability, if, if we went to a field, let's just say it was Camden Yards or Coors Field. Um, definitely not safe go, but one of those fields where um, you were rewarded for hitting it into the gaps, right? And I could beat the outfielder. Oh. Um, and so, so uh, 
if I could beat the outfielder, then I, if I was, I think with, with the ball that was a little bit more juiced, then the outfielders would have to be a little more true. So create more space for myself out there. Yeah, Velocity, I was fine because I was already a good contact hitter. So um, I think that I, my strikeouts probably would have gone up a little bit, but I was able to hit the ball to all fields. Now, granted, my batting average might not have been as high, but I just with all the, the laser laser down on the infield, but I still think I would have been successful. That's what I kind of figure. I feel like a guy like you would benefit so well, especially when they started implementing the shift and just shut down certain batters. They wouldn't have shut you down. Yeah, but they, there still would have been, I mean, you, they have a big enough sample size where if I have a thousand bats off a right-handed pitcher and I hit the ball on the ground, say 20% of the time, 25% of the time, that's a lot of data. I mean, that's 250 balls put in play on the ground. They're going to have a pretty good idea of where I hit the ball um, in the outfield and on the ground. Very cool. 90, in 1997, and forgive me if I'm missing a year, but you played in the All-Star game. Tell us what the th tell us how thrilled you were to hear that you were named to the All-Star team and what was it like? It was it was you know, it's similar to when you're called up to the major leagues, right? I mean, it's just, you know, you're kind of in awe of these people and it's, you know, you're just taking it in. So you're kind of quiet and, uh, you know, kind of seen, not heard. And um, it was surreal. You know, the second time I think I enjoyed it more. I was definitely more relaxed. Um, you know, it, it's a blur now, but, but uh, it was obviously, you know, you look back on your career, especially as we get older, you know, you look back at some milestones and those are things that are can never be taken away from anyone that ever makes an all-star team. So when I was fortunate to make a couple of them and to be honest with you, 97 was not even my best year with the Brewers, but that was the time when there was no internet and there was no fan voting other than in the stadium. And, you know, the Brewers were probably drawn, you know, 1.2 to 1.5 million fans a game or a year. And the, you know, the Dodgers are pulling in 3 million and some of these others. So the Brewers had no chance of getting a, a write-in ballot guy and so um or punch the little hole ballot guy and i felt like the brewers were always trying to um market their players so every year they would kind of send a new guy and you it kind of held true for the four or five years that i was there i think one year was i think vaughn went 96 i went 97 i think Vina went 98 and bernitz went 99 so they're definitely trying to share the wealth there right on fantastic hey question for you there's a there's a bunch of people uh, including people on our program who don't watch the All-Star game. And I think it's one of the most amazing things there is. And uh, I, what, are your, what are your thoughts? Because you're a two-time All-Star guy. I mean, I still feel like it means something to the players. Oh, for sure. I mean, uh, especially in today's game, because I think the fans get it right, you know, especially with the online voting. I mean, you'll see a guy that's having a good year. I mean, the astute fan will uh, will see who's playing well, and so you can get a guy that's maybe from the Marlins or one of these mid-level type teams, right, or a mid-market team, and they'll still be able to get on there, still be able to um, make an all-star team and be the starter, and it's not just a popularity contest anymore. Right on. I mean, and it also matters from from the perspective of uh, your contract negotiations too, right? I mean, that's that's something that you can add on as a little badge of honor. Yeah, I think so. I think that, you know, everything's weighted, right? I mean, uh, you know, arbitration is just a weighted thing, right? They take your, your days of service and base it on your production over those three years or two, 2.3. If you're a super two guy or a four plus player, they're just going to look at, see a player like, okay, what did Chipper Jones do in his first two and a half years compared to Jeff Cirillo? And so you just measure it that way. So I don't know if the All-Star game carries that much weight, but it does carry weight in your first three years because there's there's definitely an incentive, probably a $100,000 bonus in there for making the All-Star team. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not small, small Trump changes. No. That's <laughs> no. a good paycheck. <laughs> um, I got I to talk about war. I mean, Abraham thinks it's a bunch of nerds who, who have no girlfriends that's in their basement come up with these stats. He, he talks about that for years, but... What, what are your thoughts on war? I mean, nowadays, all these stats that they come up with. I mean, you had a career 34 war, but you're a heck of a ball player. I mean, who, who cares about war? I mean, do you care about war? What are your thoughts? Uh, I, I like war. I think it's good. I think it um, it's trying to 
take the whole onion and not just look at the sexy stats, you know, of a guy hitting 40 homers, you know, it takes the defense into consideration. It takes the base running into consideration. And um, I think that war is a good stat. I don't think it's a bad one. Okay. I'm still going to stick by, stick by my, uh, my guns here. It's, it's, it's guys like Matthew page, a guy, uh, one of our hosts that it's for those guys. Read me. I watched you, Jeff. I watched your career and I needed all I needed were these two eyes to see how good you were. Exactly. (laughs) Right. Well, 30, a 35, 35 war is pretty good, you know, based on a, you know, I mean, if you're averaging a war of an average player's got a two war per year, right? Like the Kyle Seegers, right? He's like 2.2, 2.5, 3.0, maybe in his best year. So that was like slightly. I feel like when people look at that, especially when it comes to Hall of Fame voting, I think they're missing something. They're missing the intangibles of the of the player. Yeah, you that, that's yeah. You can't measure that, but you're also maybe you're giving guys a credence for for being on a winning team, like the Yankees that won all the World Series. So that guy should be decorated because he was drafted by the Yankees or was on the Yankees and they won four World Series. Right? We're a team that's you know, I mean, or Joey Votto or Jeff Cirillo that was stuck in a mid-market, mid-level team that wasn't make the playoffs, maybe if everything turns out right, right? So I think that guys that win World Series, and, you know, of course, that's speaking from someone that didn't play in a World Series, so it's <laughs> backing my argument. But I don't think that just because you win a World Series that that should push you over the top, in the especially in baseball, where where the, the, the salaries, comparatively speaking, like the team salaries are so out of whack. Oh, sure. Some of the biggest stars in the 90s never never uh, won or played in a World Series. For sure. Right. You know, you're... Bonds never won a World Series, I don't think. Right, Brian? Was it, oh, I thought he did in 02. No? No. That was the Angels. That's right. No. Gr- Griffey never even got to it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it's a good point you bring up, Jeff. It's a good point. Yes. Uh, another, another thing we want to bring up is uh, you actually were part of the Mariners when they had a very good year. In, tw- in 2002, they won over 90 games. And just miss the playoffs. Do you ever right. look at the playoffs these these days, Jeff, and wonder like, well, now everybody gets in. <laughs> like, uh, I I still think baseball is doing a good job with it. Now, if they expand it again, then I'm I'm gonna have a problem with it because you know I, I do like the fact I love the one game wild card, but boy, that's a long way to play 160 games and you're fighting for the wild card spot and you get one game, you know, and you have a Verlander on the mound or a Madison Bumgarner when the pirates were in it and they couldn't get, get past him. Um, so as far as the playoffs go, that, that O2 team, I mean, it was crazy because that was when the angels had the rally monkey and they were just come back in the seventh inning and just here they come. And then of course right. you had the A's and the A's won what 20 or 21 games in a row. So I think we won 92 or 93 games that year and we're on the outside looking in. What was it like playing for Lou Pinnell? I know it was a short stint, but, but what was it like playing for him? Uh, it was different. That's for sure. He was definitely different <laughs> than any other manager that I played for. So I think that he was the benefit of good teams. Fair enough. Fair enough. He's an there, icon a... in Seattle too. But I'm sorry, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> oh, I was gonna. I was gonna say. I like. I like that you said different. It, it seems like there's a little bit more there. Uh, should I poke Jeff? Should I prod? Ask oh, I don't know. I, I think that. Uh, I think that Lou did great things in Seattle. Okay. Um, there, there's a stat here. I, I hope I don't offend you on this one, but uh, I think it turned out turned out great. Uh, you went 1,617 regular season games without a postseason appearance. Um, question for you: uh, In 2007, I believe you went to you went to you went to the playoffs and mm-hmm. got to push that record off onto someone else eventually. Um, I just want to harken back and just get your get your thoughts on. Finally, be able to finally being able to to get there after after the long journey that you've had through the MLB. It was it was definitely it was great. I mean, it was one of those one where I was a spare part at the end, right? I was 37, 38 years old, and uh, the Angels or the uh, Diamondbacks picked me up from the Twins, and uh, you know at that point, basically, I was just chasing it, right? Because I'd signed back with the Brewers, and then the Twins the year before, and I just looked at them on paper, and I'm like, man, these guys got the two best pitchers in baseball. And Johan Santana and and, uh, and Lariano, one and two. I mean, it was they were good. 
And so I signed with the Twins looking to make the playoffs. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Liriano got hurt in spring training. And he had needed Tommy John and Santana was kind of hurt as well. So um, luckily, the Diamondbacks picked me up and we made the playoffs. And it was great because we, we well, I think we had a we had a negative run against and we made the playoffs and then we uh, swept the Lupinella Cubs in three games. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Mm-hmm. I, I know you pitched an inning in, two, I believe, 2007. Were you excited when they told you you're, go, you're going into the game to pitch? To pitch? Oh, my gosh. It was, yeah, so Bob Melvin was the manager, and Bo Mel was the manager, obviously, when I was in Seattle in 02, or in 03, excuse me. And then uh, he was also the bench coach when I was with the Brewers. So we were down, and, you know, being a spare part, so they were going to rest the, the guys. So we were losing by a lot to the Brewers, and uh, – I remember Bob Melvin came to me and I was hitting in the eighth inning and he said, Hey, real, uh, if we don't score any runs here, do you want to pitch the ninth? And I said, I've been waiting 14 years to pitch the ninth. <laughs> That's all right. And I hear you have a nasty break, a nasty knuckleball. Is that true? Um, yeah, I, I, I just got, I literally was just there for a week. So I really wasn't able to kind of go with the whole bag of tricks Okay, <laughs> because I was new to the team, but I struck out the first batter and then, um, and then I started kind of getting excited and started to tinker a little bit. And I had the, I think it felt like I had the second guy struck out too, but they called it a ball four. And uh, so I really was didn't, didn't break out the whole bag of tricks and bring out the whole <laughs> college arsenal, but uh, I could spin the ball for sure. Very cool. Uh, Did uh, I want to go back to Bob Melvin. I didn't realize you played yeah. for him, but you obviously that would have been your second stint with him. Did you <laughs> see him becoming as good a coach that he was going to be like even back in, 2002 I guess it would be like did you like did you think like this guy's got it I think he did I think that um it was interesting when he first got his first managing job with the the Mariners uh I think that it was a very veteran team so I don't think that he was able to really put his exact stamp that he wanted on it but he he learned a lot and clearly he's become an unbelievably successful manager you know, he's a guy that still hasn't, you know, gotten to the World Series yet, but um, he's always in the running for sure. Yeah, he's certainly got a good chance with San Diego now. I mean, they're sure putting a lot of money into that team. They got a lot of stars, so. Yeah, yeah, for sure. We're a fan of him of the show. I mean, well, except for Matthew two, Page. Two of, us are, two of us that you're talking to <laughs> are a fan of We have a malcontent. He's from Oregon, though, so what do you expect? Um, <laughs> got it. No, I Bob Melvin. I kind of, I kind of wondered about him, uh, especially at Oakland. Like, why doesn't everyone talk about him? Because he's taken teams where they're just selling off players left and right, and he's still putting together ninety win teams. Right. <laughs> that takes something. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that. Look, I think that a good manager kind of lets his players go, and I think a bad manager hurts a team more than he helps a team. Right on. Yeah, that makes. I agree with speak, that. Speak, speaking of managers, Jeff, uh, I hear that uh, you used to manage the Walla Walla Suites of the West Coast Baseball League. Uh, how did that come about? Well, um, well, I'm part owner of it. Obviously, uh, I own a couple minor league teams, um, and actually, I never actually managed it because the one year I was supposed to manage it, uh, COVID hit. So and I was going to retire from my scouting. And then the next year I was going to manage it. And then uh, we had some medical, medical medical stuff happen. So I wasn't able to manage it then. And so and then last year I wasn't going to manage. But I, it's something that I'm probably going to do in the future. You you brought up the fact that you do. You're part owner of a couple of teams. You also own the part owner of the Yakima Valley Pippins. I mean, mm-hmm. How, how does that work out if the two teams play each other? Who do you root for? Oh, uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, so how about we root, we root for both. I noticed that Solak is wearing a Bellingham Bells. I had to. We, I saw that. <laughs> we, we we cover the Bellingham Bells, so yes, I had to support my team. But <laughs> Yes. Yeah, well, hopefully we'll get to see each other in a couple summers. Maybe I'll come up there this summer. That'd be awesome, Jeff. That would be Question awesome. for you. Why would Bat League, instead of, you know, perhaps, uh, I don't know, double A, single A, whatever, what have you, you know, 
Um, do you just like working with, uh, do you like working with college kids? Well, that's a two-part question. One of them is a financial obligation. The Wood Bat League franchise fee was completely smaller than um, trying to buy a minor league affiliate, which is probably a good idea, uh, just in the sense that there was some consolidation that just happened uh, and you could have lost your team. Um, the other one was is the fact that, you know, we don't pay the college players, right? The college players have mm-hmm. to get there. They have to, I mean, with the new rules in the NCAA, I mean, back in the day, like, the teams would fly us out to Alaska or Hawaii to play. Now the college kids have to find their way to us, you know, and we take care of, you know, their, their equipment and their travel and, and a little bit of meal money. And we get them host families and things like that. So as far as margins go, you know, it's definitely better to be in the West coast league than probably going to minor league team. Right. I noticed that uh, former Seahawks punter, um, John right. Ryan owns the Portland Pickles. So it seems like maybe it's a hobby for uh, for former athletes then. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, the, the, the thing that John has that we don't own is that Portland is a much bigger city than uh, than Walla Walla. I think that Walla Walla, we have about 40,000 eyes or 80,000 eyes, excuse me, 40,000 butts um, that we can put in the seats where Portland's obviously has a bigger bigger draw. So they they draw probably about three thousand fans a game, and we're probably about twelve hundred a game. Well, what is it with your league? Pippins, which are a type of apple of apple, <laughs> Wenatchee apple socks, mm-hmm. pickles, sweets, which is an onion. It's a very it's a very foodie league, isn't it? <laughs> well, we we wanted. I think the Yakima the Yakima would have been a perfect one for the to get the hops right for the beer. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. but the guy that owned the Yakima Bears, or and then they changed the names from the Yakima Bears to the Yakima Hops. He literally moved that team that was a minor league team in the Northwest League, and he moved him to Hillsboro and took the name That's with right. him. Okay. Does Rob Meyer, who's a friend of our show, come out for a visit to mm-hmm. either of your ballparks? Oh yeah, Rob Meyer. He's our he's the president of our league, and and he does a great job, yeah. and he enjoys it, and he's written a couple good books, and so I think that he's helped expand the league. I mean, I. I believe there's about 16 teams now in our league. I'm not sure. I might be a little bit off on that, but we continue to expand. So, I mean, clearly baseball's pretty big and and still growing. That's fantastic. Do you guys, uh, I I saw, I want to say it was an Alaskan team called the Alaskan Gold Panners. Do you guys schedule out of league teams like that? We do. We do non-league games, but it's mostly like with, um, like the Highland Bears or there, there's another collegiate league. It's probably a little bit, I mean, the, there's still good players in it, obviously, but it's not maybe the same quality you know, end to end as, as like the Bellingham Bells or maybe the Sweets. But um, we do play a non-league schedule, probably about nine or 10 games. That's right. They're called what a uh, Pacific International League or something like that or something. Yeah. And I think Everett Merchants, uh, Solak is, one of those teams. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. There's like Redmond dudes. I don't know why I know so much about this. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I just love, we, we love on this show, minor league sportsmen. Uh, we do. We do. Uh, I, I got to make a plug for a friend of mine. Uh, his son, his, his name is Jackson Henderson. He's a sophomore. He's going to be playing for your team in Walla Walla this summer. I don't know if you heard of him or not, but I just wanted to plant that seed. He's a good kid and he's a right-hander. He throws real hard and just keep, keep an eye out for him. He plays for Columbia Basin College. So hope you don't mind. Will do. play. Right on. <laughs> I will. Well, you just have to, uh, if I'm out there and you see me post a photo, just make sure you send me a note on him. Will do. <laughs> it, are your teams mostly local kids or, I mean, do you have pipelines uh, to get these guys? We do. Um, you know, I think UCLA, USC and Oregon State have all done, been pretty good to us throughout that league. You know, I think it's only I think it benefits them as well. You know, Washington State. We haven't had too much luck with Washington, but, you know, my relationship with um, with Kelly's pretty darn good. It wasn't as great with Megs, but um, but, you know, Kelly's pretty good. And uh, and so we try to, you know, we try to because it makes our roster, it makes it easier to to field a roster when, you know, every year you can rely on UCLA to send us three kids or USC to send us three kids or, you know, you go on and on. So you can fill your roster pretty quick. Awesome. And with the pandemic subsiding, going back up to Canada is back on this year? 
I, I believe it is. Yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I actually, I think it was on last year. Cause Brian, weren't we going to go? Yeah. You and I yeah, were going to go to Canada. We were going to go. Yeah. We had to cancel, but yes. <clears throat> but yeah, we, uh, we, uh, we're very fascinated because your league has expanded that, uh, you know, there's an opportunity uh, to take some field trips. In fact, uh, I believe Golden Tate was playing for the, the, the former Seahawks wide receiver was playing for the Portland lefties. And that was a trip that uh, I wish I'd known sooner. I would have ma made my way out there. It's neat to have right. little things like that going on. Mm -hmm. For sure. Have you guys had one or two players that you can name over the years that have come through there while Wall or Yakima that are currently in the MLB? Well, I've got one kid that, um, a funny story because John Stanton, who's, you know, the primary owner of the Mariners, uh, he's the majority owner of our team. And, and he used to have a, a facility called the Bellevue Baseball Club. And it was in Bellevue and, uh, and I was trying to put this select program together. And so it wasn't, it was off of the Walla Walla suites. And because John let us use the facility and he, we were the only team he would let in there was our little suites, my little suites team that I grew, but off that team, um, we, we had our first major leaguer come through and I've coached him since he was 13, but it's Corbin Carroll. So, wow. Really? Yeah. Oh mm -hmm. my gosh. Yeah. That's awesome. So, He's fun yeah, to watch. Pride of Lakeside. I yeah. know. I told him, I told him no more dinners for you. You're buying me dinner now. Exactly. With that <laughs> contract. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. So nice. Right do, you still, do you still coach uh, Bellevue High School? No. Um, I so my son went to Bellevue and then he played baseball at USC. And I coached him for three years at Bellevue. And then uh when he graduated, you know, when he when he graduated, I graduated. From Bellevue, and uh, okay. this year I've been coaching. I've been coaching, volunteering, coaching down here at a, a school down in Indian Wells, California. So, but we're not very good. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. <laughs> very cool. Uh, hey, let's. We got about ten minutes left, uh, Brian. Let's ask some questions about some of the new stuff in baseball and see see what he thinks. For example, uh, Jeff, what do you think of this new pitch clock? Uh, I like it. I think it's great. I think that. Um, just going to a lot of games last year in the minor leagues, I thought it was great. I mean, you guys go to Everett Aquasox games, you know, I mean, it, it keeps the game moving for sure. The, the traditional part of me was against it at first until yes, like we saw it at Everett and oh boy, we get to go home. <laughs> yes. 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 It's not 1030 at night. Right. Right. You know, it's not the pitcher not taking forever to come set and then doing his breathing and then, then 20 signs from the catcher to the pitcher, you know, it's just, yeah, it was getting out of hand. <laughs> How about the bigger bases? Are you a fan of that? I, I still don't understand what the reason for the bigger base is, since you can't take out the second baseman anyway. I, I, I don't get it, other than maybe it's the replay and the guys can push each other's hands off. Or I'm not really sure why they have it, and I'm not. I've never gotten a good reason why they have a bigger base. Well, we we, we saw Ty France get his foot stepped on last. Was it Ty France? I think it might have been Typhoon. Somebody got his foot stepped on uh, that's a Mariner, and um, maybe the bigger base might help with that? Maybe. I don't know why. To, I mean, if you're just going to be worried so much about the first baseman, why don't you just put the softball you know, safety base on the right-hand side so the runner can run that way? Oh, like the little slap-down uh, orange yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you're going to go that far, why don't you just do that? <laughs> what, what do you think about the two-pit the, – the, the, Two pickoff moves rule where you can't throw more than two times to the to the base. I don't know. I mean, uh, I think that that I think that they're implementing that one because I think that the robo umpire is coming soon. Are you yeah, that's that? the big one is Jeff. What do you think about the robot umpires? <laughs> uh, I think it's going to bring its own set of issues, and it's not going to be good. I just think that. Um, you know, because then you're going to have catchers. They're going to redesign how do you how you catch, right? They're going to have the catcher standing mm -hmm. up, and then you're going to have these. Then you're going to have these catchers throwing one seven five down to second base all the time, and so you're not going to be able to steal a base. So that's why they've implemented the the two picks on that side. You know, I remember a couple of years ago, and you guys were in Everett when, you know, the pitcher, the right-handed pitcher, 
had to step back to throw a pick. And then the lefty had to do a step off just to come over. So um, right. I think they were tinkering with that. And I just think that the, the robo umpire, it sounds good, but it, you know, there's some smart people and they're going to think of ways to take advantage of it. Right on. I got, I got to ask, do you have a, one favorite moment when you played with the Mariners that, that you would care to share? I, it could be a game story. It could be an off the field story. I don't, we don't care. I just would love to hear. Man, I don't know that the Mariner thing was, um, it was, it was just, uh, it was a different experience. I mean, you know, a coming from Colorado where you've been hitting in mile high air for a long time. And, um, and then going to Safeco Field, where look, I mean, if you didn't have prodigious powers for right-hand hitters, especially with the fences they had back then, you know, it was a really hard place for a right-hand hitter to hit. Um, you know, you'd hit a ball to the gap in left center that in 29 of 30 ballparks is a homer, and you're 0 for 1. You know, so it was it was not an easy place to hit. Uh, I wish I could have played better, um, but there was not a lot of too many fond memories other than other than having really great fans and, and really big crowds every night and playing with some great players, you know, and Mike Cameron and John Olerud and, and Ichiro and Edgar and Wilson. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Brett Boone. And so, I mean, you got to play with some Jamie Moyer, Freddie Garcia. I mean, there were some great talented players that I got to play with. Well, let's ask that then. Let's ask, uh, what was it like to reunite with Brett Boone? Oh, uh, it was all right. I mean, he was, he was a handful. I mean, he had just, <laughs> he had just, he had just come in. I mean, just imagine, I mean, his confidence when he was at USC as a 20 year old, now he's, uh, came in third of the MVP voting in, in baseball. So, uh, you can imagine. So he had not mellowed out. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. So there's your answer. <laughs> That's all you're getting. That's all we're getting. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair. <laughs> Got a question for you about the World Baseball Classic. Back back in the '90s, I think you would have been on that team uh, had they, you know, had that been a thing. Um, but I know that there's some discussion about whether whether it interferes with the season. Would if 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 they had invited you, would you have accepted, or would you have said, "I need to focus on the season"? No, no, I would have done it for sure. I think it's uh, it's an honor to do it. I think. Um... I think anytime you can wear something that says USA on it and try and do it more on a global scale, um, you know, plus you're, you're basically, you're playing an all-star game every night and, you know, and your stats really don't matter. So there's really no seasonal stat based on it. You know, you're just basically playing for the, the Jersey on the front and not anything on the back. In front of a packed crowd, every, every game, you bet. <laughs> Yeah, with different and different cultures, and just you know, it just—I it, mean, you're just reading some of the the, um, the quotes from some of the players, just saying how much fun it was, and and how it's just basically, you know, it's almost like you're in an all-star team as a 15-year-old, and the only way you get to go to the next all-star tournament is to win that tournament. So it doesn't really matter what your stats are; it's just you just need to win, win, and move and move on. We're getting a lot more international flavor into the into the game uh do you ever get concerned about uh homegrown talent and the state of the state of baseball as far as you know what the kids are playing these days oh i think that that question that that's always been an argument for a while now um you know i mean i think the numbers weigh it out i do think that baseball has become a lot more expensive today than um, than probably 10 15 years ago 20 years ago you know, look, I mean, that book, baseball's a, it's a, it's a, you have to have a lot of talent, but it's also a skill. You know, it's not like football where it's like, okay, that guy's the strongest guy and that guy's really, really fast. You know, baseball is, this is like a, a fine motor skill, like hitting a baseball takes a lot of practice and takes a lot of hours. And the only way you can really hone those skills is to, is to find better competition. The only way you find better competition is to got to go out and seek it, right? So the, the 12, 13 year olds who are being identified, they're going out and playing in Georgia or Texas or California. And, you know, you got to have money to do that. Right on. What, what kept you in Seattle after you retired? You mentioned earlier you live here six, the state of Washington, six months out of the year. There's, there's got to be one or two good reasons why you stayed here. 
Oh, I love Seattle. I love the people. I love the summers. Um, I love the state income tax. And I, uh, and I, 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 and my wife and three kids uh, and my three kids were born there. That's awesome. Right on. Fantastic. We're, we're hitting up towards the end of our show here. I want to thank uh, Jeff Cirillo, uh, former Mariner, and uh, once again, Milwaukee Brewer, great uh, for being on the show. Uh, what projects are you, are there any projects you're working on right now, Jeff, uh, either uh, in practice or, you know, upcoming? Um, well, right now I'm just, uh, you know, I was, I've been working at, at Major League Baseball and the, and the Angels for the last 11 years as a professional scout. And this is actually the first year I haven't been to Arizona in my last 34 years of baseball. Oh, wow. Which is kind of interesting. And, um, and so I'm doing, I'll be doing some radio for the Brewers this year. I'll do some post game, but mostly it's out of my house. Um, as far as, you know, my, my time, I'm volunteering at a high school, Desert Christian Academy, a little small school in, uh, in the Indian Wells area of California. Um, and just doing some, I used to do a celebrity golf tournament in Milwaukee and, and, when COVID hit, that kind of went away with um, Aurora Health. And uh, so as far as projects go, you know, I'm, uh, you know, just kind of doing my thing. My kids have all graduated from a couple of them went to USC. Another one went to Puget Sound University. So kind of on the back nine of life right now. And just uh, so that's what I'm doing. And hopefully I'm going to I'm gonna do the Walla Walla Suites next year. I mean, not, not this year, but next year. That'd be cool. Yeah, especially if we could see you up in uh, Bellingham sometime or over in, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'd love to say hi. Um, all right. So, Oh, what about social media, Jeff? Do, are, where are you, are you active on uh, any, any Twitter? Yeah, I do. Facebooks? I do it all. Yeah, I do. Uh, what I do, I do the, the at the, the icon two six is my Twitter handle. Uh, California dreaming is California dreaming. 26 is my Instagram. Nice, nice. <laughs> well, as always, we like to end our show with a shout out uh, where we talk about uh, either a person or a place or something that gives us joy in this world and in this life. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and start off with you, Brian. Who would you like to give a shout out to? I give a shout out to my father who turns 81 years young this Friday. I just want to say you're an inspiration. I love you and hope you have a wonderful day, Dad. And can't wait to hang out with you. Awesome. And I'm going to go ahead and give a shout out to my son, Vincent who's currently probably right this second now, a little bit late over there, but at the Louisville Slugger Museum today. And uh, I, I'm getting constant pictures from him. And uh, yeah, I, I, I'm so happy that he gets to do something that, uh, that I got to do someday. I got to get out there. You, <laughs> do you have a shout out for us? Uh, shout out to my, 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 my boys, my wife and, and my, my parents living in Idaho. And just shout out to all the ball players that are out there and just that are keep just going and grinding and then uh, and keep the love in your heart. Awesome. Excellent. Well, thank you again for joining us this week, everybody. We are the Seattle Sports Union uh, on behalf of Brian Solman Solak and myself, Abraham Deweese. We thank Jeff Cirillo for being on the show today. Check us out at Seattle Sports U on Twitter. Like us on Facebook as well. Check us out on Channel 68 out of Ocean Shores. Uh, where every Saturday we are uh, on at 11, 11 a.m. on uh, um, Pacific time. And as well, check us out. Uh, check us out at Captivate FM, iTunes, Spotify, anywhere, anywhere you get anywhere you get podcasts. All right, guys. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you next time.